1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking
0: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Everything about it just made me nostalgic for like that face-off level logic of like, we're going to go to a prison where the the shoes are uh, magnetized to the floor. (laughs) You know, the cryo prisons and stuff like that. Goofy, fun world building and... That was my biggest takeaway, was, oh man, I miss the way these movies were made.
1: 1993-94, Sandra Bullock was a big hero of mine, and uh, I I think she's fantastic in this. Mm. She's really spunky, she's really cute, she's really ditzy, and she's also kind of holds her own against Sylvester Stallone, and it's just, everyone's just having a great time. It's completely ridiculous, and it's just so much fun. Hello, everyone. Joining Flixwatcher today, we have Simon.
2: Greetings and salutations.
1: David.
3: (laughs) Hi there, great to be here.
1: And as always, Kobe.
3: What is my (laughs) boggle?
1: And we are reviewing Demolition Man. Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Simon and David. If you could please say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Simon Williams. I am one half of You're Going to Need a Bigger Boat, uh, London's biggest and best film quiz, I think I can safely say. (laughs) That's about it. Me,
3: I think. You've been to other quizzes, haven't you? The film quizzes... What do you think of them?
2: Hey, you know what? I, I, we've, been, we've been running this quiz for 16 years and I mm. absolutely love doing other quizzes. I never get to play. Um, so yeah, This is a, I can give a, a couple of shout outs. There's a Prince Charles cinema. Yep. That's a pretty good quiz. Yeah. Um, there are some that pop up every now and again. Den of Geek did a very rare rare one that was very hard to get into. But, you know, for the size of the city of London, there, there really should be more of them.
3: It's, it's such an interesting thing because... Helen and I didn't know each other beforehand. Helen didn't know anyone on the film quiz team before there's a tweet out that's saying, let's form a quiz team. Um, but it's such a a weird kind of sociable thing that gets people excited. And there's, um, wh- what's it like from your side of things when you see the, the same people turning up inside and out week in, week out, and you recognise the their faces? Just,
2: yeah. Oh yeah, oh, gotta get it's like the, like the old guy in the pub who wants his store um you know what I, we've been doing it so many years i've made really really good friends you know now i've got a family it's pretty much my only social life although now because thanks to covid zero social <laughs> life um but yeah we've made some great friends over the years it's we have some absolutely dedicated regulars who come back every every month we used to uh, and you know we're really hoping
3: to to get back as soon as we can
1: yeah we love it we miss it can't wait to be back
3: thank you and we should say we are the current reigning champions uh as of May. Oh I didn't, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're hoping it never comes back. <laughs> I mean there's there's things like that which would help us out massively. Um it will be in, in it'll be in all our Wikipedia. Forever. It'll be in our epitaphs. Um that's how that's how it'll be. David, who are you?
0: Hi, my name is David Trumbull. Um, I'm a story artist uh, for Animated Features, currently working on the Dahl adaptations at Netflix Animation. And I'm lucky enough to, every now and again, be invited on film podcasts of friends of mine, like Sudden Double Deep, Spotlight. Uh, but having, you know, obviously now started working at Netflix Animation, you know, Flix Watcher was really like... Uh, uh, the big one for me. I really wanted to hook, really wanted to hook this fish <laughs> just because uh, of my connection to Netflix.
3: Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And um, I mean, Roald Dahl is an interesting one. How scary are you allowed to get for, for these for these uh, animations? Because...
0: Well, obviously I don't want to give anything away because obviously these are all like uh, uh, under lock and key right now. But anyone who reads Roald Dahl knows that, you know, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a property that simultaneously... Uh, is hard to adapt whilst also being considered a sacred text. So it's like, it is terrifying just in general because, you know, so many people have opinions as to what these books are. And uh, the more I've uh, been consumed in, in in these characters in this world, you know, the more I realized that uh, you have to go big or go home. So thankfully we've got some incredible creators over at Netflix animation because they've been cherry picking, you know, the best of the best from the industry because this is a this is a, a relatively young company. It's a studio without without any set uh, house style and, you know, a lot of people uh coming off of these other big studios, you know, the big 3 like Pixar, Disney, Dreamworks because they realize that, you know, it's kind of exciting to get in on the ground floor of something that's new and figuring out what it is. So, uh, I'm very excited to work on a property like this because Netflix are, are, are banking on some really individual voices. You know, look at something like uh, Elizabeth Ito's City of Ghosts, for example, was like one of the best kid shows I've seen in a very long time. And, you know, even investing in, in international animations like like I Lost My Body, the French yeah. film, which was reviewed on this podcast as well as a great episode. And things like uh, Wendell and Wilde by Henry Selick, which is the movie I was on before this.
3: I was going to say, one question I was going to ask you was, um, are you going to stick or twist from the Quentin Blake Figure styles.
0: That I'm afraid I cannot answer. <laughs> okay, that would be considered okay. a violation of my non-disclosure <laughs> agreement. But I will tell you that um, fans of these books and everything they represent, we're hoping will be very happy with the way uh, it looks and feels. You know, we're you trying got to hope get hits. down. You, you know, got hope. exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, end of the day, uh, I've got a shelf just lined with every single one of those books, uh, which <laughs> I've been reading like. Uh, religiously, So those Quentin Blake illustrations are right there. And if yep. you want to watch a Quentin Blake movie, just open those books and you'll be right there.
3: Go back to movies. We are here talking about Demolition Man. Demolition Man was your choice, Simon. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, first of all, why you chose it? And uh, a synopsis in less than 60 seconds.
2: Well, it's probably the best uh, film named after a Grace Joes song. Second one being Le right. Rose, obviously. I'll give you a quick synopsis. You've got LA's greatest cop, John Spartan, in a, in a vaguely... Apocalyptic LA, slightly in the future, uh, going up against LA's worst criminal, uh, Simon Phoenix, played by Wesley Snipes. There's a, a massive massacre at the start. Spartan gets framed, sent down into this revolutionary new cryo prison where he's frozen, gets sentenced to 70 years frozen, uh, along with Phoenix. Then the twist is that Phoenix is uh, awa- awakened in the future, but he's awakened in this future that's forgotten about violence. It's a completely safe, uh, kind of sanitized society that just does not know how to deal with somebody like Simon Phoenix. So uh, the solution is to defrost John Spartan to uh, set a maniac to catch a maniac. (laughs) Um, So why did you choose it? Why did I choose it? I chose it because I I was having a look through Netflix and it's one film that I really loved when I was younger. I hadn't seen it for ages. It's one of those films that really Mm. sticks in your mind. You know, it's so quotable as, you know, as we did in the intro there. Um, I remember it being quite funny, action-packed. And I just, yeah, I just wanted to find out if it, if it uh, was as good as I
3: remembered it. I think that's one of the, one of the places where Netflix really helps out. It really works is if a film you haven't seen for a while or since you are an adolescent or, or kid, uh, and it's there. It's hard not to press. Oh, go fuck it. I'm going to. Yeah, gonna watch 90s, it kind of thing.
2: 90s action movies and thrillers. That's
0: that's what I use it for.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are, Helen and Dave? What were your thoughts on uh, Demolition Man?
0: I was very excited to re-experience this. Is uh, this also looms large in my uh, childhood? I I, I love that Simon says that it's set in the very near future. It's set three years after the movie was made, Uh, so (laughs) it it has this wonderful opening (laughs) shot, which is basically. The start
3: of it was set. After the movie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's
0: basically set in um, 1996. The movie was made in 1993, and so Blade, like, it's basically the Blade Runner shot of like this is what Los Angeles will look like in the near future. Blade Runner was made in 1982 <laughs> and set in 2019. So this was like a very grim, even more grim than Ridley Scott's vision very, of what LA is going to become. Yeah. But you know instantly from the opening like minutes, uh, it basically begins with like uh, you know uh, John Spartan jumping out of a helicopter. Me and my twin brother, Steve, uh, (laughs) will always remember the moment where he jumps out of the helicopter and screams, FINISH! (laughs) <laughs> to absolutely nobody, literally nobody, not even the helicopter pilots would have been able to hear him, let alone Simon Phoenix in the building below. And so from that moment onwards, you're like, oh, it's that kind of movie. It is a movie based upon comic book rules. It feels like a Joel Schumacher, sort of a Batman movie from that era as well. Like Snipes is essentially playing the Joker to Sly Stallone's Batman. And, you know, watching this movie makes me feel like, shit, they missed a trick I would have happily watched a Batman movie with those two as as The Dark Knight and The Clown Prince of Crime. So, yeah, um, coming back to it, I know that it's a movie with uh, a lot of satire in it and, you know, a lot of things that may or may not have aged well. But uh, watching it, the biggest takeaway I got from it was just how much I missed the way movies were made in the 90s. Hmm. Uh, you know, shot on film they didn't have particle effects or the ability to put smoke and flames into things, you know, in a very, like, like basically filled with smoke machines and, and dry ice and real sparks and things. It just reminded me how alive those movies felt <laughs> when you had them on VHS and you were just like, I mean, and and just like, you know, stuff like, those amazing box-like sci-fi computers that are just like the text is massive. <laughs> the all, all of the digital the screens graphics. look there's, there's like they be, were made yeah. in like an old Macintosh pink program. You yeah. know, it's like everything about it just made me nostalgic for like that face-off level logic of like we're gonna go to a prison where the where the shoes are uh, magnetized to the floor. <laughs> you know, the cryo prisons and stuff like that. It was quite you know goofy, fun world building and. That was my biggest takeaway was, oh man, I miss the way these movies were made. Helen.
1: 13-year-old me, absolutely loved this film. And 39-year-old <laughs> me, absolutely love this film as well. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was great to revisit it. And I'd kind of been hovering over, should I watch it? Should I watch it for a while? So I'm really happy that you picked it and we could talk about it, Simon. Um, 1993 slash 94, Sandra Bullock was a big hero of mine. And uh, I I think she's fantastic in this. Mm. She's really spunky. She's really cute. She's really ditzy. And she's also kind of holds her own against Sylvester Stallone. And Wesley Snipes' wardrobe, I think, is incredible. And it's just, everyone's just having a great time. It's completely ridiculous. And it's just so much fun. And it's kind of this sort of believable futuristic view and you're kind of like yeah i can kind of imagine that and i just love all like the retro stuff she has um which she kind of finds really funny and they're singing along to the the hot dog song in the car and yeah it's great and
3: uh they're singing along to jingles and it, yeah, and, it, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I think like when I watched it when I was younger, I just thought like eating a rat burger was like the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> and we used to say, "Oh, you were having a rat burger when we were eating burgers all the time." And and that with the pe- the eyeball on the pen when he tries to get out with that, I thought that was the best thing ever. I still think <laughs> it's the best thing ever. So yeah,
3: this for me is one of the films where I understood about the excitement for films coming. It was like a short story on it wasn't news round, but some kind of kids program where in that there's going to be a film coming out next year where Wesley Snipes and Sylvester Stallone are frozen and then unfrozen and they have to fight each other in the future. And I was like, yes, this is, this is exactly the film I want to watch. Uh, and it was exactly the film I want to watch. And it's such a fun, ridiculous film. Um, there's a few things, just films set in the future. are uh, There's some, there's some nonsense bit. There's just things that could be easily written out of the script to just make it make sense. And I think the biggest thing here is it should be set like 150 years from when they were frozen, not 40 years, because you've got people in living memory who know the things that they grew up with. And it's still, mm. and for me, that, that makes no sense that they can't remember mm. um, how to have sex or, you know, that use toilet bits, the things like that I wish to like, just make it hundred years later and everything that you're doing is kind of fine that. because it doesn't matter to people. There's no one who can remember the things that used to used to do. Apart from that, I'm happy with all the nonsense. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that, I must admit that that's one thing I I did think that it's like the, the older people who have lived. I think they mentioned that Warden Smithers was born in 1967 or something. So <laughs> you know he had quite a big chunk of his life before it all went crazy, uh, and then got yeah. crazier, uh, depending on how you view the future world. Um, and yet they all seem to have amnesia about the the, <laughs> the, the simplest the simplest concepts.
1: Spartan's wife dies, and every, he, so Spartan's wife dies in the the like the event but those other people survive so it's a bit like how serious was this event and how come you survived but they didn't so it's it's i think if you think it's, about it too much then it all unravels so try not to
3: but that's that's the, mm. that's the point i mean because i don't think much. it's i think for me it's, it's just that one wrinkle that if it was ironed out then the rest of it just is fine um mm. because it is because like. I say, um, Smithy and and your man who um, was in the same unit as John Spartan it probably started at the same time as each other. Has he has he lost his mind? Has he actually lost his mind and he literally can't remember she- how life used to be? Yeah, I I can remember everything from forty years ago. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can remember it. It's, yeah. it's, it's a fine. bit like
0: it's it's a bit like how can um, how can Sandra Bullock have a Lethal Weapon poster in her office and have watched Jackie Chan movies and yet still doesn't know how to say yeah, uh, let's go blow this guy. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Properly, you know what I mean. Like, it's like it's like yeah, there's a certain amount of suspension of disbelief um, because if like like a lot of movies that playfully come up with a satirical take on the future, if you pick apart anything it'll fall. It'll 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 collapse like a house of cards, but but it, you just have such a good time with it, that, mm. that, that it doesn't and
3: that's matter. it. That's it. It's just that, that one if it's set 140 years in the future, I think everything like that is fine because I'm happy with going into a museum. I don't mind going to a museum to find guns and the guns are fully loaded and <laughs> you can just walk around and start shooting them. I'm happy with that because that makes that drives the plot forward. Fine. And it's people really known exactly what that car is, but still not known how to say, blow yourself, you
2: know. Yeah, the, the, there's there inconsistencies kind of in, in that regard. <laughs> I think, you know what, I, I do, I like, I like the fact that there are characters who we see in the past and the future. So I like the fact mm. that you've got the the warden, who's the, 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 he's the assistant warden when he puts him under, and then he's the warden when he takes him out. And then you've got, you've got Grandel Bush's character who actually gets the first line in the opening scene. And then he's, uh, I can't remember what his character's name is, but then he's the older guy played by Bill Cobbs in the, in the future scenes. Um, yeah. So I, li- I like the fact there is that connection. Um, but yeah, it, is, it does come across a bit weird that they all seem to have got some mass amnesia. I don't know how, how that's happened. Maybe it was so such a traumatic, the event that you, that you mentioned, Helen, is the, the big one of 2010, <laughs> in, in which Spartan's wife's uh, light was prematurely extinguished.
3: I, I do love all the future nonsense, though. The um, Yeah, not having sex. Not like, no exchange of fluids. The the three seashells. The you know the, the credits for for swearing even saying damn, uh, and also just putting someone like Simon Phoenix in there who has none of these guardrails around him, and he just has an absolute whale of a time kicking ass basically. Um, mm. I, I, just, I just really enjoyed the mayhem. I really really enjoyed the mayhem, and then then you get people like Jesse's body Ventura and going underground. Uh, I think uh, this film for me is pure silliness. It's and a blood.
0: romp, isn't it?
3: <laughs> it is. It is.
0: And it's also interesting because like whenever you look at a, a vision of the future, invariably they get some things right. Like, like, uh, you know, video chat on tablets, mm-hmm. remote conferencing, you know, like they got all the, the, the people in the boardroom with their faces on there as monolith like star monitors and, you know, be, being able to track someone's location, money transactions, being through codes, self-driving cars, things like that. They get, they get a couple of things, right. They even get a few things that, the, that, the, that they're trying to poke fun at. Right. Without knowing it, like, uh, there's a weird thing where, where uh, Snipes is out in San Andreas and he finds someone at a, a booth being affirmed. San Angeles. Yeah, San, San Angeles, yes, yeah. um, being affirmed by by a booth that, that's telling him that he's a good person you know what i mean like like basically giving him like a booster and it's like well that's what the car map is like that's what asmr is for like the the idea of um of, of stations that are set up to help people's mental health is actually a pretty good idea <laughs> but there are a couple of things i was like actually you know like uh, dictatorship aside there are a few things that, that that are pretty defensible
3: which i think makes it actually better satire well, it, for me
2: it's a it nails the fact that wesley science becomes a criminal as well <laughs>
3: And I mean a- let's talk about,
0: indeed.
3: let's talk about snipes and 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 Stallone uh specifically here i mean where 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 are you with these guys' films? and then and now, actually, because they see for me, they seems to be both having a, a good run of recent um recent films.
2: I mean, just just uh, just sticking with them in this film. I mean they they just play so so perfectly off each other. Mm. um mm. I mean it's it, I, was, I was trying to think how to explain it. It's like a fish out of water type film, but it's the water that can't deal with the fish. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's the way the police, the, the, the way they've set up this this kind of safe society. You know that classic line: where police officers. We're not trained to deal with this kind of violence. They just can't. <laughs> they, they don't. They don't know what to do." You know, Sandra Bullock, and it's it's very much sold as a kind of Stallone versus Snipes, but this is very much a, a, a three person movie. I mean, Sandra Bullock. Hmm. You know, with the yep. with, with the fish out of water films, you always need someone who is the guide. That, you know, acclimatizes mm. them, and she,
0: is, madam exposition, exactly. Yeah.
2: And she, you know, Sa- Sandra Bullock's role as uh, you know L- Lenina Huxley, which is the most unsubtle character name of all in a, in a kind of post-apocalyptic movie. Um, you know, the fact that she's obsessed with the olden days, which aren't you know, like like we said, they're not that far, not that long gone. So she can, she understands them in a way that the others don't, and can help them, you know, get used to this new reality.
0: Hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the the water not being able to deal with the fish because um, uh, this came out in 93. It's the same year that The Last Action Hero came out, which was like, yeah. this was during a rather uneasy period in both... Sly and Schwarzenegger's career, which is why there's like a reference to mm-hmm. each other in both of those movies. Yeah. Obviously, there's the Schwarzenegger library in, in Demolition Man. And then in Last Action Hero, you see that uh, in, in, in the movie universe uh, of that film, um, Sly is the Terminator. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting because both of those stars were huge in the 80s. They had, like, their peak as being bravado, machismo action, like, ideals back in the 80s. And then suddenly the times changed around them. You know, things got a little bit more politically correct. The whole movie is like a satire on censorship. And so both stars had to kind of recalibrate themselves to figure out how to work in the 90s. So with Schwarzenegger, they made Last Action Hero, which is like, hey, let's take the character from the 80s and let's take him into the real world where movie rules don't apply anymore and just see how that guy plays off of it. And then with, with Stallone, it's like, okay, let's take him into the future where he's no longer considered acceptable and and have all of like the culture clash that, that results from it. So, you know... Uh, Arnie has a much better time of it during the 90s cuz of the Terminator and and you know his 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 star takes a little bit longer to dwindle before both uh, Stallone and um Arnie kind of have resurgences but you just kind of like I really like that it's kind of a meditation on both of their careers hmm. and what makes them appealing and finding some middle ground because you know I I like that that uh, John Spartan's arc is actually to find some sort of middle ground at the end because he is charmed by Bullock, and he doesn't try and change Sandra Bullock's character Huxley too much. Obviously, you know, uh, 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 fluid transfers aside, you know what I mean? Like um, one of the things that uh, I think makes it a really nice repackaging of that 80s sort of machismo is that uh, Huxley actually has a lot of agency in the story. Like she, she's the one who has the idea. Let's defrost Chance Barton. She's the one who actually, like, is the 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 person who moves the plot forward. Yeah. And then you know, like, other than him knocking her out at the end in the sort of sort of patriarchal, like, oh, you don't have to go into danger at the end. Like, let me risk my life, kind of thing. I really love that she actually, you know, they could have gotten like a Sharon Stone type and have her put glasses on and then have like the glasses come off and the hair come down. They genuinely cast an adorable, brilliant, strong actress and then she you know wins spartan's respect by the end you know and like you know she doesn't she doesn't do it by suddenly changing everything about herself she actually is awesome and he you see these little lovely beats where he sees her being tough despite still being sandra bullock and sandra bullocky and and it's very winning
3: the bits where he she wins him over you can see she's trying so hard it's like when you go to Hmm. Uh, I, I remember going to Corfu once, and I learned how to say thank you in, in Greek. And all my friends just went into a place and got the thing and left. And I was like, uh, and the, the bank and the person behind the counter was like so appreciative that I just tried. It probably sounded the worst way ever, but they were so appreciative that they just tried. So you can just tell that he's he's like, "Oh, you've you've, you've learned that. You're trying. You're not getting it quite right, but hey, you know, <laughs> God loves to try compared to everyone else who." hasn't got a clue um and that's how that's how um like i say adorable is is a fantastic way to turn a phrase there helen what are your thoughts on Stallone and snipes and, and and sandra go for triple s
1: i haven't really watched many of their films outside of this uh i think what? for me it kind of peaked maybe for for all of the people in here it's worth also mentioning that uh blink and you'll miss him jack black is in this and uh a very early role, and um, Dennis Leary as well, who um, reportedly isn't really one of his favourite performances. But it, it kind of it's kind of funny to see, and John Hawthorne as well, isn't it? The Nigel
0: Hawthorne, Nigel. Nigel, yes, yeah. yeah, Sir Nigel, um,
1: the other Hawthorne.
0: Yep, in another last action hero parallel, because we had Charles Dance in that film, and the Nigel, two British like thesps adding <laughs> support
1: <laughs> and and the guy from beetlejuice as well i can't remember his name playing playing
3: he played otho in beetlejuice as well like oh glenn shellix yes yes that's it uh, just to bring it to kind of current days uh stallone and snipes have been uh really good fun in recent films i mean coming to america isn't that great a film but snipes is having a, a whale of a time in it he was great in that and other eddie murphy film which has escaped me that's also on netflix um, um uh, oh. my name is dolomite is that one yeah Dolomite yes. is, is my name oh he's fantastic um, in that yeah and his uh Wesley Snipes is absolutely amazing in that so when I saw this I was like well this is he's just going back to he's just going back to Simon Phoenix um <laughs> and my my favorite films featuring Stallone are the most recent Creed films I think he's actually a, mm. a good actor he's fantastic <laughs> and plays a fantastic yeah. role in those um so I do I always enjoy like those people you think are over the hill coming back so I'm looking for Sandra Bullock mm. uh to have her film to bring her back. Um,
0: I, I'm really, really uh, glad that there is like a Wesley Sance kind of going on now <laughs> with Snipes. Because Snipes, like watching this movie again, he truly is the MVP of the movie. Like he does not oh, shine yes. everyone, mm. Stallone and Bullock uh, uh, included, because like you get the feeling that like, he, first of all, he's magnetic. He's dressed as like a psychopathic Dennis Rodman, and yet it still all works. And he has his own like 80s synth Theme tune that mm. plays over anything he's doing. He looks like he's walked out of an even sillier movie than the movie is, and yet everything is just like coasts on his natural charisma, and and it's kind of funny because when I was watching him, I just thought, what a shame that he didn't like like obviously he had he had the Blade films, which is great, you know, but like he had so much star potential in that one role uh, um, that I felt like he should have become a bigger star. He, he he's he's. I mean, like half the lines he says in in the movie feel like they were ad-libs You can tell that he was just riffing, yeah. and they kept a bunch of his lines in because he's just like he's just on on a ten the whole time.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, these these action movies are only as good as their villain, and he he must be one of the best villains in action films. He's he's just having mm. so much fun, and I, I must must take you up upon Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman stole Simon Phoenix's hairstyle, not the other way around Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> But I mean, yeah the, nine, I mean the, the, two. yeah, the two of them are great. I mean, he's he's just, you know, just the little things like the, the different colored eyes and the crazy the crazy outfit, the dungarees. I mean, and then he goes all it's, mad with his, you know, the way he's, laughing. His, uh, you know, the way he's like, laughing
3: himself when he's at the, at the, at the, at the vending, at the, not the vending machines, the, um, at the ATM. Yeah. And he's like, I don't even know how I'm doing this. Yeah. And it's just kind of,
2: there's, there's that great, it's like, like a child in a candy store,
3: isn't he? He's just
2: suddenly, hmm. I mean, he starts off a badass, but then he's suddenly got all these, he's been given powers as well you know hacking skills ninja skills all this kind of stuff and he's loving it
0: yeah they must have discovered that if there's ever any plot hole that needs to be figured out just get snipes to make a joke about it to like comment on it and then suddenly it makes all, all the sense in the world like oh great i'm i've got all this stuff in my head like it, it, it he just goes with it
3: i wonder if the Wachowski's um sort this is inspiration for the matrix just the uploading oh, programming.
2: Um, memory yeah. but, th- yeah. but that's it but that's a great yeah. running joke i don't think that's covering a plot hole because you've got there's the little throwaway moments as well where Sly Stallone starts knitting and then he gives knitting. he gives yeah. he gives her a sweater the next day. <laughs> and he, they do make a bit of a joke out of it because at one point, I think where he's in that car crash and he looks like a complete mess, he's like, oh, all I need is a needle and thread. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, break your Mickey Mouse piece of shit. You <laughs> see, that's one of the things I really like about it because like, um, yeah, there's an awful lot of this movie that's like poking fun at political correctness and like, you know, Uh, Like, wokeness gone amok kind of thing. And um, one of the things I like about it is that if you were going to make a straight satire, the thing that makes it really successful in my eyes is how much the scriptwriter actually does a lot of heavy lifting to, even if it's poking fun at something, to make it, like, defensible in some way. Like, um, Stallone's time that he comes out of, everything fell apart. So he realizes at the end when they said, how are we going to live now that like our our grand dictator is gone? And he's like, well, you're going to have to beat somewhere in the middle. Mm. You know, you guys are going to get a, a bit dirty and you guys have to get a bit clean. And and somewhere in the middle, you'll figure it out. I love the fact that, like, uh, you know, Arnie is railing against his own insecure masculinity because he does knit her a sweater, and it's actually played really sweetly that he actually does do something sweet for her. And so it's nice to see him playing with that. And at the end, he is asking how to use the three seashells, you know, to <laughs> his credit. and And so... I like the idea that you can make fun of something while still having built up enough of an internal logic of like, actually, if, if the world got so bad, there would be an extreme pendulum swing mm. the other way. It's just gone too far. And so like the perfect medium is somewhere obviously in the middle. Yeah,
2: I mean, talk, talking about things that it got right in the future. I mean, it's spending time on social media. It's not difficult to think there might be quite a large chunk of people who would see that as, as, an, as a utopia. And they and they do, you know, there are characters in there and they're quite happy living in that kind of world. Um so it's I mean it's the perfect kind of centrist dad movie, isn't it? Where it's like, you know, this isn't it wasn't right before, this isn't right, we need to bring it back
3: somewhere, somewhere in between. Happy medium. Is anything else, guys, before we head to the scores?
1: I can't believe no one's given their opinion about what the Three seashells is... Seashells, seashells. Well,
2: that's... The... For me personally, <laughs> go ahead. No, I was going to say that's the one thing they get wrong. Um, you know, <laughs> we're still using toilet paper. Although maybe it just predicts COVID when we had a run.
0: Well, I mean, like those high fives in the air, like a lot of that stuff just gave me COVID-like triggers. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, no they're, touching. they're doing everything right. <laughs> you know, they're... In, in this version of the universe, COVID never happened. Um, but as far as the three seashells is concerned for me, I just sort of assume it's the Arnold Rimmer uh, toilet wiping of one up, one down and one to polish. <laughs> there, is, um, there is
2: an explanation uh, online, I'm sure um, Stallone talks about it, where you kind of use them as, as
3: tongs. Like chopsticks. And then you use yeah. the last
2: one as a scraper. And I'm like, let's keep them. Who applies them though, the robots from let's Rocky keep 3, the, or- Let's keep the mystery. I think the mystery's better.
3: I like that. Well, let's head to the scores.
0: Hello, folks. I'm Sam. And I'm Martin. And every week for the last five years, we've got together to talk about the musician Tom Waits. He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette (laughs) and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl... Uh, He's also the gravelly-voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on FlixWatcher. So make sure you check those episodes out and when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits.
1: Welcome to the Watcher scores. All of our scores are always out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And uh, we'll start with you, please, Simon, with your recommendability.
2: Um, I'm going to give this... See, before I watched it, I would have given this a five. And and I probably should give a five because this was my choice. But I'm going to go to a 4.5. It didn't didn't quite engage me as much as it did when I was younger, but it's still, it's so much fun. Actually, you know what? Can I change it? I'm going to bump it up to a 4.8. I feel 4.5 is maybe a little <laughs> bit stingy. So if I can change my mind, I'm going to go 4.8. Um, feel a bit mean. Of course, you can. Um, it's you know, it was still a still a lot of fun. And I mean, it's it's probably people of our generation. probably difficult to find anyone who's not already seen it. But um, if you've not seen it, like David said, it's a great little snapshot of you know big star power Hollywood movies in the in the early nineties.
3: David recommendability.
0: Um. I think that this movie, you know, recommendability terms, I think this is the kind of movie that, like, the four star was made for. You know, it's not going to be for everyone. Not everyone's into action movies. But if you're into, like, a big, goofy action movie, this is a 100% recommend um, for, for for that type of person. So I'm giving it, like, a four because the the, the, the remaining star is for people, like, who would never want to touch a movie like this with a barge pole anyway. And so, you know, fuck them. But, uh, yeah, um, nothing against the movie. I think, I think that... Uh, for a big, dumb action film, it actually has an awful lot more going on under the hood than it even needs, you know? I I love that they have throw so many ideas at the wall and see what sticks. There are obviously a couple of things that haven't aged very well. Like, for example, like you know, I mean, no matter how utopian our future gets, I never will believe that the police will ever be that defunded, you know, like, like, and, um, in, in, in envisioning the way that society collapsed, they completely sidestep any racial inequality or police brutality that would have been contributing triggers to societal reform like that. You know, obviously it wouldn't have occurred to writer in the nineties, let alone like a, a,
3: Again, a white if this writer, was like, you know, if this is 150 years in the future, yeah. You know, this explains waste from this. It,
0: it, indeed. Like, I mean, it, it's weird. I was watching it going like, there are actually a couple of reasons why part, uh, why I would understand some people would want to scream out for this kind of society. There are a couple of things that, you know, for me felt a little tasteless just by the virtue of when they were made, like the reference to the AIDS epidemic as the reason why people don't have sex anymore. Feels vaguely homophobic and 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 a little bit uh, trite. You know, it tells you just how fresh that must have been in the early nineties. And so, if you pick apart the logic, it, you know, uh, too closely, it, it it falls apart. As a as a treatise on political correctness, you know, uh, political correctness can be seen to be quite oppressive. But in this story, it is the state that it's imposing its values on the people. Whereas, you know, a lot of the way the times uh, values change is that we negotiate our values with uh, the people in power, and those people in power choose to cater to us or not. So it's it's very easy to view it as like Orwellian, but uh, but I don't think it necessarily is like a perfect metaphor for that. But as a treatise on the importance of the pendulum swing not being too intense in either direction, it's it's fun. It's got some moments of genuine uh, nuance. I love the museum fight where they go through the glass into yeah. the preserved uh, street from the Los Angeles of their time. It's like, it feels really poetic. It's like a great conceit to see these two relics fighting in their own relic museum. And so yeah like all of that aside like you could criticize this movie for a couple of reasons there are a couple of takes you could you could make about different things but what's the point it's just such a bloody good time it's just so much fun and and i think it's totally harmless not offensive yeah, to me in any way you can you can have strong opinions but not every take needs to be aired it's just a lot of fun the stars are magnetic the the pace is is choppy and fun I just think it's a good old time so yeah uh four stars but but for me you know that's not a bad thing at all
3: helen
1: it's kind of interesting because i enjoyed this obviously quite heavily on a, a nostalgia watch as well and i'd be curious to meet someone watching it for the first time now because i wonder how much fun they would have because there are certain things that are a bit like Ooh, kind of for you. You definitely wouldn't get away with that. And because we've got kind of like the nostalgia with it, whether it would land as well. Uh, If you haven't seen this, I definitely do recommend you should at least give it a go if you're at least kind of curious about uh, some of the the weird futuristic things they they think might happen and the, the seashells as well. It is a lot of fun. Really don't overthink it. If you start to overthink it, then it loses its kind of fun madness and
3: uh yeah for me it's a solid four yeah i'm gonna 4.5 i'm gonna take that 0. 0.5 away for those people as, as helen said i think if you were to introduce it to someone now who'd never seen it uh and they're a similar age to ourselves i think that they'd probably ask you what they did to hurt them how did we come to blows in a way that you recommended this film because it, it is a bit odd but as a kid in the 90s and 80s i think it's just such a it's an obvious choice right to Snipes and Stallone in the same film, set in the future. It was everything I wanted to see, and you know, it was great to see again.
1: It's not. It's not Terminator Two. That's. It's kind of like it's got a lot of like. Even other like Terminator
3: that. movies aren't Terminator Two though. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, this is this is a question to pose to everyone. Films set in the future, just generally, because there's sometimes fall. There's a lot of them fall. Just really by the whole kind of premise, they fall away. They just don't work, do they? In some way, shape, form. Mm-hmm. Uh, this for me was the, the 40 years. If it was just moved away, and I've said it many times, if it moved to 140 years, then I think I could have dealt with a lot of the other things. Uh, Terminator, how Terminator played out, I think that kind of, that's its own version of the future, which kind of makes sense. Um, but when, when you have a, a version of the future, which is only 10 years ahead, you kind of think, guys, are you, what, what were you thinking? How does this make any sense? I don't know what what are your thoughts on-
2: so the way I see it is that a lot of sci-fi movies that try and predict the future they tend to be giving a view of the present so here you've got you know that this fear the urban fear of of cities falling into complete chaos and violence which we get in the prologue and then you've also got in the early 90s there was this kind of big backlash against what everyone called political correctness so you you
3: get that taken to an extreme this is at the time of the Rodney of the LA riots and was not long um, after this 1992 LA riots so this must have been in the minds of people.
2: Yeah. So, of the so, so yeah. probably the opening prologue, which interestingly was added as kind of a last minute edition. It was added by, I was reading about this, it was added by Fred Decker, you know, the director, right, director of um, Monster Squad. So, this wasn't in the original script. Uh, the the hmm. film was meant to start with, with Spartan being awakened in the future, but he said, he said something like, um, uh, Oz won't be very special if you don't see Kansas. So, they needed to see, you needed to see Phoenix and Spartan in their natural element. And the one thing I like about the opening is that, with a lot of these films, you get this, like Judge Dredd, you'll get this big, ponderous opening narration to set the scene and explain what's going on. But you don't need that with this film. You get this glorious aerial shot going over the Hollywood sign in flames and gunshots and <laughs> sirens and searchlights and then this big Chinook helicopter, which is a complete impractical vehicle to take people into a firefight. Um, it's, it's such a brilliant opening. You know, exa- you know exactly what's, what's going on. This is only three years in the future. It's completely pessimistic. It's... Uh, it's an absolute war zone, and then the the contrast between that and, and waking up in this glorious utopia of lack of violence before you start to see the dark side of it um, is, is is a great is a great vision of the future for me.
0: I'd say you're absolutely right. I, I also love that opening because it justifies the opening credit sequence because I'd completely forgotten that it was just aerial shots going over Sly's naked frozen body <laughs> like he's the fucking Star Child <laughs> from two thousand and one. <laughs> I was like, oh great. We got a little sly balls in this movie, um, uh, but no, um, yeah. Uh, in terms of vision uh, of, of the future, I think like just like action movies have a, have a spectrum from silly to really, really like serious and, and, and earnest. I think science fiction, you know, exists on a continuum. Like I view this as like going into the Doctor Who vision of the future continuum, where basically you you know you'll have episodes where the Doctor will go to a vision of the future that's basically making one satirical point about one part of modern culture and, and the rest of it's like, oh, just go with it. Suspension of disbelief. We're making a joke. Don't worry. Don't overthink it. But then there's also on the other side of the spectrum, I think, you know, in terms of my favorite sort of sweet spot for sci-fi, something like, to mention the star of the uh, the other film uh, that we've covered, uh, you know, uh, Minority Report. Uh, you know, that's a really good vision of the future because a lot of the things in that have come to pass, you know, like, you know, non-lethal ways to apprehend suspects, touch screens, um, all of that sort of thing. Advertising that if they could put it into your retinas directly, they would, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think this movie does a good job of like trying to predict the future, but it's en- it, there's enough silliness in there that you really don't need to overthink it.
3: Okay, so repeat viewing
2: score, Simon. I did enjoy watching this again. I'm not, in such a massive rush to watch it again, I would probably give this uh, a 3.5. David?
0: I'd give us a three. Not only have I not really ever thought about it since I last saw it, but like it's a movie where you could probably tune into it at any point in the plot and just watch it.
3: Wait, when was the last time you saw it?
0: God, it's got to be probably over 10 years ago. It's yeah. like a movie that is out of sight, out of mind. The moment I sit down with it, I have a great old time. If it, it, if it was five minutes into the movie, I'd watch it. And if it was five minutes before the end, I would sit down and watch it. But I wouldn't sit, there and go, do you know what I want to watch right now? Demolition Man. So i, I give it like a
3: three. So maybe this is where the Netflix recommendations work and mm. just beams it in your face and like, yes, yeah. this, this is now, this is now. It was meant now. for Netflix, for sure. Uh, Helen?
1: It's pushing two hours, one hour and 54, which is probably yeah. maybe about 20 minutes longer than it, it probably needs to be to be like up there in the falls. That said, I had a really great time and I have watched it loads before. Am I going to rush back to it? Probably not. So I'll go with Simon on the 3.5 with this one.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go for 4.5. I'll watch it. I'll keep on watching it. As long as it's on, it's easy to watch. And you can watch in installments uh, and it's fun and it's silly. Uh, you don't really have to think. So this is something I you know, I will carry on watching forever and ever and ever. Small screen score, Simon. Yeah, I
2: I think this kind of, kind of suffered. It's a bit of a contradiction because I felt like it suffered being on the small screen, but I've never seen it on a big screen. Um, i mm. i had a friend of mine whose dad used to sell vhs tapes to video shops he'd get so he'd have like a he'd have a briefcase and he'd open it up and he'd have the the cases that he would take around like sample tapes that he'd take to <laughs> video shops so he would lend me those tapes once they'd done the rounds and that's when i first saw demolition man so you know i had to, I, I, there was another one i watched on the laptop and it was perfectly fine score wise i'd probably go 3.5 again david
0: in terms of small screen i think i'm going to give it a uh, 4 because this is Definitely a hangover movie. You could watch it at any point, <laughs> not have to have any kind of like investment. But that being said, the, the missing point is because as much as it is definitely a, like a, a small screen film, I would absolutely kill to go see it at the Prince Charles. Mm-hmm. Popcorn flying at the screen, raucous quip along with the audience. It would be the best time ever. So as much as I have never seen it in the cinema, I wish I could.
3: Helen.
1: I've only ever seen it on a TV size screen, and as much as I love it, I don't know if it—I love it enough to get me to the Prince Charles um, for it. So I'm—I'm going to give it a five for small screen.
3: I'm going four point two. I would 100 percent love to see this in Prince Charles, um, and I would also really enjoy a secret cinema version of this as well. I think that'd be absolutely delightful. Rat burgers, ahoy! <laughs>
1: um,
3: neuro neuro 3D visor things for pretend sex—you know that that kind of stuff um three seashells and they'd probably give you instructions how to use you know the three seashells i think it'll be fun i think it'd be really good fun but i've never seen a small screen but i aspire to one day see it on the bigger screen and like you say throwing popcorn um throwing toilet paper at the screen would be brilliant Uh, engagement score simon
2: engagement score i'm gonna go with 4.5 i think this is partly the the reason i gave a low score for the rewatchability. it's because it's just so ingrained in my head i don't need to watch it again I, quote, yeah. I can quote it all day long and it was funny just watching it and trying to guess what was coming next because even though I hadn't seen it for quite a few years, it was amazing. It was like with an eye, the way it had just drilled itself into my brain, I knew what the next line was going to be. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I must i must say though, I didn't watch it in one go. It took me two nights to watch it.
3: Yeah, That's fair with a new kid as well, isn't
2: it? Yeah, well, yeah, like I said, I was, it's very rare for me to be able to get through an entire film in one go, <laughs> sadly. Uh, David?
3: In terms of engagement, I
0: give it like a middle-of-the-road three. Uh, there are a bunch of plot lines that I just completely piece out on, uh, like the the Resistance being just like, for most of the movie, they're just the little ice stalk from Jabba's Palace popping <laughs> out of the lawn, like he's t- like tiring he their way them. through the story. <laughs> I think Dennis Leary's whole like plot is a trope and it doesn't really ever get paid off. And like So there's a bunch of parts of the movie where I'm completely sleepwalking through it. That being said, it's still amazing, like what Simon said about how like a, a great action movie is is as strong as its villain, it's also as strong as the way that villain is killed. And the KO at the end of this movie is worth the price of a mission alone. So it, it, for that alone, I'll always watch it because I know it's heading me towards, you know, a fucking frozen head <laughs> decapitation. And so, yeah, bloody good, but it's a three.
1: Uh, Helen. So good when he kicks his head off and it smashes and it's like frozen blood. Yeah. Like, yeah, fuck Yeah. <laughs> gorgeous um, i yeah. think a solid four. um i mean you could easily watch this with half an eye open and as you've said hungover or you know you can sit there fully engaged and still kind of have a great time so yeah solid four.
3: yeah um, for the same reasons but i'm going to bump it to 4.5 um if you if you just want to kind of wash over you a bit and just pay attention when the things are getting really silly then this is your film but also if you just want to if you want to engage in some pure sinners from start to finish, this is also your film. Uh, so 4.5. And that gives us an overall score of 4.005000. It's a good score. Decent. Nice. One. Decent. And um, well, let's head over to Twitter. And for those guys who aren't following us on Twitter, do find us. We are at FlixwatcherPod. And we always give a shout out ahead of the recordings. Uh, in this case, saying, We're reviewing Demolition Man with At Film Quiz and Drumble. Have you seen it? Give us your thoughts and your score out of five stars for an on air shout out on Flixwatcher. We had a fair few responses, as I thought might happen for this. Simon, do you want to find one that you like the look of?
2: Yeah, I'm going to give a shout out to Retro Ramble Podcast, who calls it a slick Stallone sci-fi satire, slides on reliable gruff form, breakthrough performance from Sandra Bullock and Snipes stealing the show. And then, as an almost impossible question, what's the better 1993 Stallone film, this or Cliffhanger? I would probably say this, just because Cliff, as much as I love Cliffhanger and I saw Cliffhanger at the cinema, it does suffer from being the diehard, diehard on a mountain, whereas this is just completely original.
3: David?
0: Alex Elliott, um, at Alex Kid 11 says, whoever designed the future from wardrobe to seashells made what would normally be a standard action film a classic. 3.82 stars. <laughs> so very high standards for action movies, clearly.
3: Helen.
1: Uh, this one is from Liam H. Dempsey. Wonderfully original and genuinely very funny satire. Sly plus Sandra Bullock are both very charming plus funny in this, but Snipes steals the film in an electric turn. Elliot Goldenthal, meanwhile, provides literally the same score as he does in Schumacher's Batman films. Four stars. is a good score.
0: Yeah, no, it, maybe that's why I got such, like, Batman it's vibes. That, it's that opening. crazy, boing, 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 weird music that <laughs> plays
2: when whenever the two-face you know, appears. A lot of <laughs> trumpets. <laughs> um, Simon, there's, I think it's a ones, Yeah, there's, there's a couple of good ones. I, I wanted to mention, is it Phil Tragan? Phil Tragan Phil at Phil Tragan Photo, who... Who says it's a it's a blueprint of what sci-fi action movies ought to be like? The future is half Jetsons and half 1984. Uh, and if it weren't for Bullock, Snipes would run off with the whole show. I'm not I'm not sure I agree with that. I mean I think they're pretty pretty level pegging. In fact I'd probably say that Stallone is probably the weakest. But that's possibly because he just he's just doing Stallone. He's the big muscly dude. <laughs> whereas whereas Snipes is just absolutely off his head. And, and Bullock is is this wide eyed just she's so enthusiastic. Absolutely love her in this film.
0: Hallmark of Greatness at Hallmark of Great says, it's one of my favourite nonsense films. Contains Jesse Ventura and Jack Black, which is good, but features Dennis Leary, which is bad. Also has some questionable racist stuff in there too,
3: but a solid 7.5 from me. Stallone... It's in a- out of five Hallmark of Greatnesses. Out <laughs> of five. I can't do that math. It's,
2: it's amazing that uh, we've no not... there's one can. There's, there's quite, a, quite a big uh, supporting cast. I mean, uh, Benjamin Bratt probably deserves a mention as well because he's... He's the great character who mm. ends up going over to the side of the scraps who are like these rejects from Thunderdome living
0: in the sewers. Is- feels like there's a deleted scene there
3: <laughs> where he, yeah.
0: in in his transformation. You know what I mean? feels like that's on the cutting room floor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And then you've got Rob Schneider as well, which he probably hasn't been mentioned for obvious yes. reasons. Probably one of his most tolerable yeah. performances. So speaking of deleted deleted scenes, apparently there is, there is a moment. We were talking before about why it's not set further in the future. And you've got that connection between... It's Zachary Lamb, that's the guy's name. So that's Grandel Bush in the past, and then mm. bill Cobbs in the future and there's a scene where he drives them to the like the final confrontation and stays with the car now apparently he gets killed by phoenix because phoenix steals the police car but they don't show that scene so that maybe would have you know added a bit more of bit more mm. of a reason for his that connection between stallone and that guy's character
3: well uh, guys thank you very much for joining us on this episode of flicks podcast can you sign up by telling everyone where we can find you uh, online and we'll say goodbye to the listeners yeah
2: thank you so much um I had a great time talking about this film uh you can find me at, at film underscore quiz uh, and then hopefully once we're back running the quizzes come and see us in london various other venues thank you
0: you can find me on twitter at drumble, and uh, i talk a lot about my job in animation and get into uh, all of my favorite podcast dms Excellent. Awesome. well
3: thank you very much guys thanks
1: so much for joining us it's
3: been a pleasure
0: thank you so much oh it's awesome. been a blast <laughs> Be well. Bye.
1: Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben. And that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood, Audio. Tell him Flix what has sent you.
0: You just heard a Stripped Media production.